Hello, everybody. Welcome to another Comic Source Comic Boom collaboration. It's Spawn Daily. Here to talk about Spawn number 19. Uh, and I got to say, I mean, no matter what the issue was that followed the end of Grant Morrison's run, it probably was going to be, you know, less exciting, less successful, just plain not as good with, with 18 maybe being the, arguably the best issue that we've had so far. Yeah. Um, interesting choices that Todd makes, right? Like you, so let me give the creative team first and then I'll, I'll talk a little more about it. Um, so the story is written by Tom Orzakowski and Andrew Grossberg, Grossberg, maybe. Um, Greg Capullo does the pencils, the inks are by Mark Pennington. The letters are also by Tom Orzakowski and we have colors by Steve Olaf. So that's right. The letterer is writing the comic. Now, Tom Orzakowski has been a letterer for a long time. He still letters to this day. <laughs> um, but I don't think he had ever written anything before. Um, and, not, you know, not to say that this isn't, you know, a quality comic. It, it isn't, you know, worthy of being on the stands. But is it up to Grant Morrison? Like, level of quality? No, it's not, it's not even close. Uh, so I, I don't, I, you know, I'm not trying to come down on Tom Orzakowski, uh, but like, I, I just question the decision McFarland made to go from, you know, one of the greatest comic writers, arguably, you know, I'm not, and I say that as somebody who's not the biggest fan of Morrison, but you go from one of the greatest comic writers to giving a guy his first shot at writing a comic ever. And Andrew Grossberg, or Drew Grossberg, from what I could, because I, I hadn't heard the name, I'm like, is this guy somebody who's done comics? So I went and I did some research. He's a like a filmmaker, you know. He's a director. He's a producer. He's a photographer. Uh, you know, he's more in that side of things. I don't know if he was wanted to dabble in comics or if Todd was trying to network and get some Hollywood cred or, or what have you. So, you, but basically, you've got two guys who've never written a comic before, at least Orzakowski's been involved in making it making comics and you would think after you know all these years of lettering knows how to pace a story and whatnot so again like technically it's not a terrible comic but going from the excitement and and really the the perfect pacing and and every and the impact the emotionality that we got in the uh in the morrison issues to this it's very it's very shocking to me the difference in in quality again not to say it's bad and Greg Capullo's art is fantastic like it's been throughout ever since he jumped on the title but um yeah I mean and again I wasn't disappointed because I didn't really have expectations but I don't think McFarland did Orzakowski any favors by letting him do this and I did look to see what other stuff Orzakowski's written so he writes this issue of Spawn 19 and then uh, also 20 and then that that's basically it the guy hasn't written anything since. So maybe it was just like an experiment. <laughs> he tried it, didn't really like it. Like, you know, who knows? But I, I question the decision to go from Grant Morrison to a first, you know, letting the guy write his first comic ever. <laughs> so I don't know. I, I mean, did you, did you think it well, was good? Okay. I mean, what, what were your thoughts? Well, I will, I will, I will say it was uh, hearing you say that about this. Cause I, I, I never heard of this guy before, uh, you know, uh, Orzakowski. Uh, yeah. so I was, I was actually going to inquire, uh, like, it's not, it's certainly not, not the worst thing I've ever read. I mean, it, it's not bad. I mean, it's, it's actually, I, I even like, uh, 
the, the dialogue is, uh, I, I think, you know, it's, it's not bad. It's uh, better than Bendis' dialogue. Uh, I, I didn't mind it. I'm actually surprised if this is his first time writing a comic. I think he did a reasonably competent job. Like, uh, but I mean, it is, you can definitely tell it's a, it's a decided shift from, you know, the, the, the previous three issues that we read under Grant Morrison. And, uh, but, uh, I think, uh, but I, I'll give, I'll, I'll give him some compliments here. I, I kind of like the way he's, I like the way he scripted, uh, at least one of the characters in here, uh, Harry Houdini of all people. And, uh, I, I, I thought, I thought this was a, um, uh, I, I was interested in it. I, I really liked that, you know, Harry Houdini plays a role in this issue and it, it totally threw me for a loop. I had no, you know, again, uh, McFarlane, we've talked about before how he, you know, he goes from all these bigger name writers and now we have a less, uh, a, a, literally a, a first time writer by the sounds of things who's normally a, a, a letterer. Um, wow. It's interesting sort of choice for his uh, Spawn comic and yet I, I, I remain... I remain intrigued, and 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 again, this this might be a, a newer writer, uh, but he he still manages to contribute to the mythology of Spawn in a way that I think enhances it and keeps me keeps me intrigued. Yeah, and again, I, you know, we don't know how much uh, Orzakowski wrote, how much Grossberg wrote. I, I wonder if either of them, maybe both. I, my my gut instinct would be it, it's Grossberg. That's probably the big Harry Houdini fan uh, just because he is involved in, you know, more in the, the entertainment Hollywood side of things. Um, but, but who knows, you know, it is an interesting choice to bring Houdini in and the things they do with them. Um, but yeah, I mean, you want to talk about heavy exposition. Maybe it's, maybe it's, or you would think if the roles were reversed, right. I would say it's Orzokowski getting revenge. And by that, I mean, you know, McFarlane writes his heavily expositional comics and Orsakowski has to, at the time, he probably was hand lettering all of this. So you would think, okay, Todd, now it's my turn on issue 19. I'm going to write it and you're going to letter it. Yeah. And so, you know, it's getting a little revenge. You, you do the heavy lifting now. But Orsakowski <laughs> is still lettering it. So you would think that he would be less inclined to be so exposition heavy. And yet yeah. this is as exposition heavy as any uh as any mcfarland issue is um so anyway let's we'll dive into the story and i'll i'll, I'll point it out where it kind of was noticeable to me a, a couple of times so it starts off and we're, we're seeing a flashback of harry houdini one, doing one of his famous uh, escape acts where he's in a straight jacket he's got chains he's got manacles he's in a trunk he gets dipped underwater meanwhile we uh we learn a little bit about um some context of, of Nagasaki, Japan before the bomb was dropped. And apparently there were some, some demons. Uh, and, and we know that Hitler was very into the occult and was doing research and whatnot. And so um, these, these demons in this world that we, or this area we come to learn as the overlap were actually watching when the bomb was dropped because they didn't know what was going to happen. So they found this, this window and they're, they're watching as the bomb falls because they wanted to know, if the Earthians, as they called them, now that they have this bomb, if the atomic event, um, if those high-charged energy, energy particles would uh, would affect infernal matter at all, like apparently matter that hell's spawn, you know, kind of like the psychoplasm that we that we were talking about. Um, but it was determined that neither the blast force nor the heat can really phase a hell creature, or so they thought. But they are still thinking. Uh, 
looks like there's a little bit of fallout, maybe a little bit of effect, although they didn't expect it. So they said um, this merits further investigation, but there's no real urgency, you know, find out when you can. So, okay, for some reason, this this place, this overlap, this uh, dimension where some demons live that seems to be outside of heaven, outside of hell, are curious whether the atomic bomb will affect them at some point. Okay, I guess knowledge is good, but it's again, it's part of the, it's not really explained yeah. That well, plus well. just, but just to expand on that, I mean, we learned we learned last issue it was established in the in the previous uh, story by Morrison that it was in it was in uh, after Nagasaki many years later it was during the Nevada underground nuclear testing that Jason Wynn uh, discovered hell. I mean, that's usually how they discovered hell. So we know that in the future. Uh, well, after the the second, you know, this atomic bomb on Nagasaki, we know that underground nuclear testing at Nevada led to the discovery of hell and, you know, we're ultimately leading to Jason Wynn making that deal with uh, some agent of hell to trade Al Simmons for cycloplasm. So it, it, I'm curious as to why, you know, apparently an underground nuclear blast ma managed to get uh, some channel into hell, but this, this maybe it's because this nuclear blast wasn't underground. Maybe that's the difference why this one never. Yeah. Maybe, see. yeah, maybe, Maybe it just wasn't close enough. So, yeah. uh, but we're still we're still in. We move forward in the story a few years, but we're still in the past. Uh, somewhere in the Soviet Union several years ago, and we see Al Simmons is there, and he's been uh, assigned to to take out somebody named Yusuf Volokov. Um, and while he's there, just about to assassinate him, all of a sudden, Russian agents start shooting at him. Uh, he doesn't get a chance to take a shot. We're not given any more context than that. Other than he was, you know, on his his perch in his cool uh, kill spot, he had the guy in his sights, and then all of a sudden, somehow the Russians find him, and they're shooting at him, and um, it looks like he manages to escape. But then all of a sudden, uh, when he breaks through into some sort of safe house, I guess there's somebody there with that puts a gun to his head, and then it just changes, like the scene just changes, and then all of a sudden we're in the Bowery, New York City. 5, 10 a.m., we're in a Spawn's, you know, usual location, <clears throat> what he considers home, uh, and it's a nightmare. So Al Simmons waking up from this nightmare of somebody holding a gun to his head, for some reason remembering that uh, event when he was tasked with killing Yusuf, um, who, who we don't know anything about, Yusuf uh, Volokov, who we don't know, is he a politician, is he, you know, a scientist, is he an oligarch, like, we have no idea. Uh, but when Simmons wakes up, uh, partly due to either the excitement of the dream or because somebody's pushed a cart full of bottles right next to his body uh, as he's wondering, you know, what, what's going on. Uh, the cart, shopping cart full of bottles all of a sudden explodes and some kid goes running off and uh, Spawn, you know, wakes, obviously wakes up, jumps, goes running after him saying, you're, you're meat. And the kid's like, oh, I, it was just a pile of rags. Bums don't dress in those colors. So I wasn't quite clear on that either because later we find out this kid is out to get bums, doesn't like bums hanging around, wants to blow them all up. So, but he thought it was a pile of rags and it wasn't a bum there. So are you trying to hurt? Were you trying to hurt a bum or were you not trying to like, you said it was, you thought it was a pile of rags. Like it didn't make sense to me. You know what I'm saying? 
Yeah, uh, I think it was later clear, clearly meant that he's. I mean, I I was initially confused too, but I I think later on it was it's meant to clearly establish at least later on by the end that this kid is is actually he's literally trying to murder homeless people uh, that are hanging out near his mom's place and his dad's place and you know uh, again you know it's funny I mean <laughs> I mean I sound like we we both sound like broken records we talk about the lack of subtlety in this in this comic I mean that the bad guys are I mean just <laughs> good lord. Yeah, it's crazy. I mean, it's just nuts. I mean, the evil here. I mean, I mean, it's so funny that this is a comic book about demons and heaven and hell, and yet often the most evil people are the are humans. Yeah, yeah, and you know, it's just a teenage kid who maybe doesn't know any better, making a stupid choice. But yeah, anyway, I'm not. Maybe he was just saying that he was he's running away because you know Spawn was saying your meat, and he's like, oh, he's trying to make an excuse. I thought it was just a pile of rags, you know. But whatever, as he runs away, a figure literally pops into existence between Spawn and this kid who's running away and grabs Spawn by the cape and uh, keeps him from pursuing this kid and says, we need to talk hell, Spawn. And Spawn's taken aback saying, I, I can't let him go. He blew me up. And this guy who's dressed in a tuxedo is like, ah, don't worry about it. I snared his wallet. We can find him later. You know, we, we have matters to discuss. So we turn the page. We get a bunch of exposition about the layout of Manhattan with Greenwich Village and Chinatown, Little Italy and uh, Little Ukraine, apparently. And, and again, I don't know, Orzakowski. I, I mean, that sounds like a Polish name to me, but maybe he's from Ukraine. Like, I don't know why he's choosing to tell the story of these Ukrainians, but the kids driving in his car, uh, Porsche McNeil is his name, apparently as some, People see him driving by. There's some exposition about how he's young and he's brash and he doesn't have any respect. And even though he has a good uh, job in an apartment downtown, he brings his laundry home for his mother to to make and whatnot. And I don't know. Again, it it doesn't. It's just all exposition. It, there's not. It's not really. It, it's clumsy. I'll just put it that way. It's 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 a clumsy way to to tell the story. Um, and it continues on the next page where we get exposition from the three reporters that we've seen throughout the series. And they're talking about how there are some former uh, or there's some nuclear technicians from the former Soviet Union who are coming to meet with their global counterparts in an informal setting. There's a conference at New York's Columbia University, and it's being hailed as a sign that the Cold War has ended. Because remember, this is like 93, 94. And, you know, the Berlin Wall came down in what, 89. So it hasn't been that long um, since the, the collapse of the Soviet, Soviet Union. So we do see that one of the Ukrainians that was uh, sort of criticizing the young kid for his lack of respect works apparently at the airport as a baggage handler. And again, it's, it's very, very clumsy. Um, but it, it appears that somebody on his team, uh, these custom officials or whatever have been bribed and they, they don't really examine the luggage. They just stick a sticker on it that says inspected by U.S. Uh, customs and kind of let it go. So um, again, the conference is at Columbia University, but you know these people have grown up in, in Russia. They've lived in Russia their whole lives. So they're finally in the United States. They head to Times Square because uh, the way that the writers put it is, you know, decades of Soviet propaganda burned into their minds and far from being a warning, it's a beacon, right? Like they get, they want to go see the peep shows and the, 
nudie girls and you know whatever. <laughs> so they they head to a strip club, and these four guys are sitting there and they're taken in the show and they're talking about their knowledge and sort of lamenting um, that their work is not going to be really appreciated now with the collapse of the Soviet Union. And they start talking some, some pretty crazy stuff uh, while their KGB handlers or the equivalent of the KGB handler uh, over are kind of keeping an eye on them. They're talking about uh, working for Gaddafi and whatever. So one of the guys gets, gets worried, one of the KGB agents or, or whatever gets worried and he goes over to call in um, but we find out that this is exactly what these scientists wanted. They said, you're right. The loud, crazy talk got one of our KGB shadows out of the way. And the other one's distracted by the girls taking their clothes off. And so it allows them to kind of hit the exit while they, they're not looking. Of course, the KGB handlers, um, get worried. Three of the guys head for a cab. The third who turns out to be, uh, Yusuf, uh, Volokov goes running off to do something. We don't know what. So again, it's a lot of pages and the art is good. A lot of pages, a lot of exposition, but not much happens. I mean, four pages just to have these guys come into the country and one of them kind of run off. Like you can just put a sentence like he slipped out of the hotel or, you know, I don't know. Yeah. It just seems like a lot of work to, to get this one guy separated from the rest. Yeah. I, and I, I wasn't. I wasn't entirely clear what was going on there. Is he, is one of them trying to defect or what are they like? What's the purpose? Or, Cause they, they mentioned some crazy things about being, they were frustrated with the fact that what's the point of creating nuclear weapons if you can't use them and saying a lot yep. of crazy things. So by implication, I, I think as, as the reader we're supposed to infer from that, that they want, they, that they want to, I guess, take off or lose their handlers and, explode a nuclear weapon on u.s soil is that where this is going i, I don't know it was it wasn't entirely clear it was just like you said it was just <laughs> it, it, all these characters often that often these characters in some in some of these issues have a propensity for for stating extreme positions and and again you know <laughs> yeah letting you know that up front what they're hinting as to what their evil plans are and it's but this is i'm a little unclear there there was a lot of there was a lot of different things going on in this comic all 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 in one issue and they didn't always i'm not i'm not it's not clear to me how all these little plot points line up together yeah and and again i you know don't want to sound like we're being over overly critical of of the creators here but this is something that you you kind of learn through experience by writing comics you get better at it so again following more than to go to go to this issue it's it, yeah like i said it just feels a little bit clumsy so the scene then shifts we're we're back at that place called the overlap and we're, we get a little more exposition that tells us more about it. It's uh, it's a reality that intersects all planes of existence, and it's supposedly the birthplace of magic. There are no sp spiritual or physical laws. Reality's elastic here. So it's in inhabited by a bunch of powerful beings from millions and millions of worlds, a bunch of magic users, and they're having a meeting, and they're talking about a couple of different people. They're talking about Harry Houdini, uh, and they're talking about Spawn. And they're uh, re referencing back to the atomic bombs. And, and one of them says, I've been keeping an eye on the Earthians and their atomic fetish. Uh, so far, they haven't killed each other. And our last survey, you know, way back when, uh, a hell creature actually got blown up, but it was a bust and we weren't really prepared. And so now uh, we've, we've kind of got a, another plan, right? We've got a, a demon, the, the latest hell spawn, which we know to be Al Simmons, and he'll be 
at the uh, at the place of the bomb going off. He'll be near Ground Zero, and we've placed an agent who's going to make sure that that Al Simmons that that uh, creature will be where he's supposed to be, and then we'll have the information we need. Can Hellspawn matter survive an atomic blast? So again, just really strange. Like, well, like, these guys just wake up one day and say we're we're worried about atomic bombs affecting us here in the overlap. Yeah, and, and so they- are we also to believe that maybe one of the Ukrainian agents, uh, one of those scientists that that lost their handlers in the previous scene, uh, is is maybe one of the agents for these for these magic creatures in that occupy the overlap? Uh, is that what maybe we're supposed to connect? Yeah, I, again, I, I don't know. They just they wake up one day and they're worried about atomic bombs, so they observe Nagasaki. <laughs> they didn't get enough information then, so they wait for fifty years to go to go by and now they're going to make sure that yeah that spawn is at the place of the next bomb going off while these scientists are in america so clearly there's they're maneuvering things around and their agent apparently their their guy to get this done is houdini right so now we're going to have the conclusive test to determine if atomics can kill demons and in the process scatter infernal matter and the best part is that persnickety pest houdini is the agent on the scene so even though Apparently, Houdini works for these guys. They don't particularly like him anyway. So uh, we get a glimpse of a few of the different guys, and they're t- talking about Houdini and how he's been a you know a pain, and, and they don't really care for him or whatnot. So uh, we'll we'll leave a pin in that for now because as we turn the page, the scene shifts. We're back in little Ukraine. We see the kid leaving his mom's apartment, the the one that uh, had set the bomb off earlier, and then we're driving in his car. Doesn't respect anybody. And there we see the guy that managed to give his KGB handlers the slip. And he says he's looking for Andre Zelenko. So he tells him, okay, you know, he's, he's in his apartment, but I think he's probably in bed. And the kid takes off and goes to his electronics job, which is supposedly this great job. Well, it's Radio Hut, which I suppose is an analog for Radio Shack. <laughs> I wouldn't exactly consider that like this great job, like the, uh, the old Ukrainians made it out to now, don't get me wrong. Working for Radio Shack in 1992 was a lot better than working for Radio Shack. Now, I got—I don't even know if Radio Shacks even exist anymore in this this day and age. But anyway, the kid apparently has the run of the place, and he uh, he must be pretty good with uh, electronics himself because when he heads into the employees only room, we see he's got a bomb, he's got dynamite, he's making a detonator. So this kid's able to get his hands on some pretty good pretty good stuff here, uh, and he's apparently talking to a friend on the phone and this is uh where we learn about him wanting to get back on these it's like uh, i'll do whatever it takes to get rid of these bums by my place like for whatever reason this kid just has it in for for homeless people uh maybe again a sign of the times and some 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 of the things that were going on in the early 90s with homeless being attacked and whatnot so uh the scene then shifts again on the next page we're back to spawn and houdini hanging out and spawn I suppose it's supposed to be humorous, but this dialogue kind of lands flat and Spawn saying, there's no way I'm going to believe you're Harry Houdini. He's like, well, you're a demon from hell. Spawn Spawn says, why aren't you dead? Well, aren't, and Houdini's response is, aren't you dead? Like it, I don't know. It's supposed to be banter and go back and forth, I guess. But again, it doesn't, it doesn't have that. It doesn't have the right rhythm. There's just too many words here. So, um, Houdini starts schooling, uh, spawn and this is i think what uh, rocky was referring to earlier even though it's orzakowski even though it's not mcfarland here once again we have a guest writer who's adding 
a lot of information and a lot of lore to spawn as a character. Because what Houdini does is he explains that, yeah, you're worried about like using up your power, but you have that symbiotic costume that's a part of you. And you, what you need to do is use the costume. Let the costume use its energy instead of you using your own energy. And so as a way to demonstrate this, he yells out to Spawn, good God, quick, behind you. And when he says that, the chain that goes around Spawn's waist like lashes out behind him. So I, I would kind of worry about that in a way. I mean, it, it's cool <laughs> and it's demonstrating Houdini's point, right? That the costume has a mind of its own. Um, but couldn't anybody in a fight just yell out to Spawn, hey, watch out behind you and his chain will go, you know what I mean? <laughs> like it's not, it's not thought out that that well but it does this chain does latch out behind him and it hits a brick uh, chimney and and uh destroys it and houdini saying see your your suit expends the energy uh and then he he summons a bomb and says in the case of a bomb you can uh you, you know you can sort of manipulate your suit and and you know make it surround the bomb uh and and control the blast or in this case the cape actually pinches the fuse and puts it out so yeah, pretty cool showing us well, just how. And Houdini makes a good point. Me. I mean, his central point is you know Spawn doesn't need to expend his own energy. That this that yeah. the suit has its own energy and and that could hopefully slow down that clock that we've noticed at the beginning of this of the entire Spawn series that where the clock is ticking down to zero, the more Spawn uses his power, the closer he comes to death. And so anything that Spawn can do to slow down that that ticking clock every time he uses power would would be helpful to him. So. Uh, it's clear here that Houdini, despite being an agent of the the Overlap and seemingly working with them, uh, he Houdini is also apparently a pawn of Overlap, and uh, and yet he's there seemingly trying to help Spawn. So I'm still a little bit unclear as to Houdini's role in all of this. He's kind of a good guy, and yet and yet he he appears to have been sent there to move Spawn into position into a nuclear blast. Or is that what we're to believe? I'm yeah. Yeah, it's strange. It's it's almost like it's like we have the overlap, and they're one faction. Spawns on his own side, and Houdini's on a third side, even though he's working for the overlap. Like, yeah, it's unclear. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but but the other thing, and and I do appreciate that Orzakowski does in his lettering. You won't see it in if you're watching us on YouTube because I redact all the the words or whatnot. But he does <laughs> emphasize words with bold. He, he makes them. Uh, bold and he also uh, colors them blue as opposed to the black um, to emphasize certain th things that he can do like um, the ability to alter the perception of what's going on around him and use his costume that word alter is highlighted mm -hmm. um, the word suit is highlighted uh, and then on the next page he says the most important power you have is manifestation and again this doesn't use your power you're using your costume to do it and he, he encourages spawn to think of a marble it says think of a marble you know what it feels like you know what it looks like and think about your desire for success and and let that desire for success fade to sureness you know this will succeed activate your costume reach out grab the molecules that are floating free and think of the marble and, and create a marble and so spawn concentrates and what pops into existence apparently through the power of the costume again not using spawn's power is a marble bust and Houdini kind of chuckles and says, well, pretty close. You know, let's, we'll try again. But before they can, and uh, some, some kind of street punks show up on, on the rooftop um, and they get in a fight with, uh, with Houdini and Spawn. I'll talk about in this, that in a second. But 
this is a huge like I had no idea Spawn was this powerful. I had no idea that Spawn could anything he can think of, like nearly anything he can think of, like a solid object. He probably can't create like complex machines unless he you know knows in his mind how they are put together. I don't necessarily think he could manifest a car, let's say, or uh, or you know like a bazooka. But uh, this is still a pretty powerful power. Uh, I, I, have no, I have no idea he, he, he could use it. And it'll be interesting to see, is this just an Orzakowski thing or do we see Spawn use his power going forward? Yeah, no, it's, it, it is, it is really interesting. And it, it, it's almost implied that he, he's this powerful and he's not using a lot of energy being that powerful almost, mm-hmm. which is, which is interesting. And so it, uh, it's almost as if I, I get a sense that he, we're at, we're in issue 19 here and it's almost as if McFarlane is talking to these different writers and they're, they're sort of like slowly developing. And it's like, it's like they're slowly sort of tweaking Spawn's powers. It's like they're never quite, cause they had, bear in mind, we're finding this out at issue 19. You would have thought that, you know, fine tuning that the power set of Spawn would have maybe done, had been a, you know, well established by now but we're still getting all these this extra bit of information and clarification and additive information regarding spawn's powers and it's it's uh you know again it's interesting and uh it it definitely keeps the readers on on you know on their toes and it makes me wonder if we're gonna between now and we're gonna be reviewing all these issues of spawn moving forward uh, how how much more will spawn's powers change by the time we get to issue 100 or 200 (laughs) Yeah, it's a good point. Yeah. So as these punks attack, of course, it's, again, exposition heavy. So we learn all their names in the course of of, uh, of two word balloons. <laughs> Brains, Divi, and Link. You take out the geek. I'll take the rich guy. You said it, Smokey. So we got four guys here. Brains, Divi, Link, and Smokey. And, uh, of course, Link is the one swinging the chain around above his head. And yeah. Spawn gives a chuckle and says... All right, come and get me. Uh, link, meet Chain, Chain Link. Oh, <laughs> look at the funny pun as the yeah. Link, uh, the Chain from his costume punches Link uh, in the face and then in the gut, and he's down for the count. Meanwhile, with a wave of his hand, uh, Houdini says, let your names speak your fate. So we're to th- believe that uh, Brains, Brains, leaked out the side of his ear in the form of a rabbit and in the next panel are are laying on the roof there uh divvy is split in half he's divided up uh his torso runs one direction and his legs the other and Smokey vanishes in a puff of smoke so houdini apparently is is pretty powerful as well and spawn kind of freaks out like uh what came over you you mutilated those kids but houdini says no nothing it was just uh some illusions based on their lud- ludicrous nicknames. They'll snap out of it soon. And we see that they're, they're all still okay, but somehow they're all tied up. And, uh, but Houdini says, yeah, they're, they'll be fine. They'll snap out of it. But you were pretty brutal with your powers. He goes, yeah, my, my powers, huh? How is it that everybody that meets me knows more about my powers than I do? And uh, Houdini <laughs> says, well, uh, you'd know something about yourself if you tried some new stuff now and again. You know, you, you, you're limiting yourself by thinking of yourself as still being mortal when you're not. Um, so he says, I, but I can help you, right? Because I, I'm just a human. And where I come from, I, I play the role of an escape artist. But really, uh, 
most of my time is spent in the heart of magic in a place called the overlap. And there I'm, I'm a prankster and an, an annoyance. Uh, so that kind of gives us some, some clue for whatever reason, Houdini likes to make a nuisance of himself when he's in the overlap. So that kind of explains why the other people that uh, we met in the overlap don't really care for him. Um, but he goes on to tell Spawn, but I'm your ticket to knowledge, right? Like you stick with me and I can teach you a lot about, uh, you know, about your powers. And so then he says, speaking of tickets, uh, let me take you to a show beyond your wildest dreams. And he holds up some tickets to the Columbia University, that atomic um, conference. So the pieces start to fall into place, right? Like we know that Houdini's role, what overlap has, or, or assignment that the overlap has given him is to make sure that Spawn is at the place where the bomb is going to go off. We know that these uh, Russian scientists are going to be there. We know that their luggage wasn't examined by the, the custom agents. So yeah, the pieces are starting to fall in place. Looks like some kind of bomb is going to be going off at this, uh, at this conference. So he tells Spawn, we got we got to make sure you're less conspicuous, though. Have you ever driven a Rolls before? So apparently he's going to take Houdini's going to take Spawn to this conference in disguise as his driver. So now at that moment, three stories below, we see the young Ukrainian kid is planting another bomb. And uh, as it goes off, just as Spawn and Harry Houdini are about to jump into Houdini's car, which is this like old... 1930s um, like sedan uh, Spawn goes oh it's that kid again this time he's toast I'm going to nail him uh, I'm going to nail that punk to the wall with his own bones <laughs> um, and so Spawn goes running after him uh, and then on the last page of the series we get a, a quick peek in at Terry Fitzgerald, Wanda and Cyan they're all uh, asleep we're told it's just past 5 on a Sunday morning when the phone rings and Terry's being called in uh, to work, and he's being called into that same conference, right? Because that one guy's missing, he's being called in, and we learn a lot, a little bit about Terry's role because we haven't known that much about it before. And he's like, "Okay, we're worried that this one Russian scientist is missing, and all of a sudden the powers that be think that they might have been able to smug in an atomic device." And then he agrees that the custom crew at JFK aren't all that they could be, but he's like, I'm not a field agent. My job is to, to read Russian, not speak it. And yeah. apparently his boss is like, I don't care. We need you. Uh, and so Terry says, okay, I'll be there in an hour. Uh, but you explain it to my wife. And uh, as he gets up to leave, he tells, um, he tells Wanda, sorry, I got to go. I, I have to go work overtime before my shift. Um, and as he leaves, Wanda, you know, again, half asleep, she's like, did he say atomic device? <laughs> and we're told in, in, in two weeks, we're going to see the atomic device. So that, that's the other thing. Apparently this was coming out more than once a month, um, this two part series. So that, that's how it ends, ends a little bit on a, on a cliffhanger. So yeah, I, yeah, I like, I mean, I, 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 yeah, I'll, go ahead. I was just going to say, I like the, I like the cliffhanger because Terry Fitzgerald here, he's turning into sort of reminds me of the modern day Jason Bourne movies. You know, it's like, he's the analyst, 
You know, he reads Russian. He's not a field agent. He's like Jason Bourne. You know, he's, I'm just an analyst, but just like just like Jason Bourne, he gets pulled into the action. That's kind of what's happening here. And and meanwhile, his wife Wanda is like sort of like the naive wife. Kind of knows that he has an important job, but it's like knows it's dangerous. But you know, Terry Fitzgerald doesn't tell his doesn't tell Wanda very much because he wants to protect her and what have you. And uh, so I kind of like that aspect of this story. I kind of I kind of like that that you know Wanda. You know, first it was uh, Al. Simmons and he had a dangerous job that ultimately led to his death and Fitzgerald Terry now I mean she she seems to attract you know heroic men that are always in danger <laughs> yeah I I was kind of surprised actually to see this again this first time we've seen you know concrete concretely been told hey, this is what Terry does he's, he's just an analyst he's just a guy that, that reads probably Russian intelligence reports or whatever that they're they're intercepted so he's not a field agent um, and it makes me think for a couple things come to mind, actually. First of all, how did you become uh, friends with Al Simmons? You, 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 best friends, you know, you would think Al Simmons is going to become best friends with somebody else who's a field agent who's he's working alongside. Not to say that you don't take analysts along on ops sometimes, but they don't actually go out into the field. You know, they might be back at the safe house or the headquarters or whatever you call it, the staging area. Um, so that's interesting. The other thing that I think is Wanda may have married this guy specifically because he wasn't a field agent, having lost her husband, who was a field agent. Maybe she thinks I'm marrying somebody whose you know job is a little bit safer. Turns out not to be the case. And maybe a third thing is the fact that Terry Fitzgerald is, is always, whether it's McFarlane or in this case, Capullo, he's always drawn as a very fit and you know able-bodied looking guy. You would again think, it gives that impression that he's a field agent, right? Um, but we see in the next issue that, that that's definitely not the case. So, uh, I, yeah, I agree with you. There's nothing, like, technically wrong with the comic. Is it over-expositional? Yes, but so are some of the McFarland issues or or most of the McFarland issues we've read up to this point. Is the pacing a little wonky? Yeah. Is it a little clumsy? Yeah. But, again, I don't blame Orzakowski. It's the first comic the guy's ever written, you know? Um, but... Again, I just I question putting this one after Grant Morrison. Like, put it after a McFarlane issue where the contrast is not so great. Uh, <laughs> but yeah, but still, still interesting. And I, you know, I have read the next issue already, and I do think that they tie up most of the things pretty well. Um, so you'll have to decide that for yourself when we cover issue twenty on tomorrow's Spawn Daily. But, now, but I, overall, I haven't, I haven't read issue 20 yet, and I'm wondering if, and I'm the the question I have at the end of this issue is, is I hope Harry Houdini, I like his character here. I, I, I find him likable. I hope he doesn't end up being a jerk uh, in the next issue. Uh, I, I kind of, I kind of like him. I, I hope that Harry Houdini is going to probably has a, maybe I'm hoping he has an agenda, an alternate agenda to maybe get some, get one up on the, some of the other magicians in the overlap that want to that are looking forward to Hugh, harry houdini dying I, I i so i hope he doesn't die but i guess i'll have to wait and see so don't spoil it for me <laughs> no no I, I i definitely won't and part of the reason i read the next issue was because this was kind of clumsy and kind of i just had so many questions i had so many questions and so i was like like well i i need to I need to redact the next issue, but I haven't even read it yet. Let me just read it real quick. So I read it as I was redacting, as I was doing the redactions for issue 20. So yeah, I have read it. It does, reading these together, I almost think that they might, and maybe this is why they put them out, you know, only two weeks apart, because they almost could have put it in, into one, like put it into one volume, um, because then 
it does make a lot more sense after you read the second part. Um, still kind of clumsy, but uh, I think ultimately it works. And part of the reason it works, I can't say enough about Greg Capullo's art. Like he, he from from the time he jumped on with issue 16, he is firing on all cylinders. Like this is Greg Capullo at the height of his powers. I, I almost like this Capullo art more than like his his current style because we've talked about how how styles changed even from this you know to now uh with his run on batman which is 10 years old at this 11 years old well it'll be 11 years old in september um but yeah uh with the exception of i I think he does emotion and facial expressions a little bit better now than in, in here but yeah i mean he he he's the glue that's holding this comic together for these guys who are writing and scripting a comic for the first time. So yeah. uh, one of the things, some of the things that stood out in this issue with Greg Capullo's art is just a level of detail. Uh, there are scenes here when he shows the downtown at, at the sex show in the stripper bar where the, where the Ukraine like uh, nuclear scientists are there. It's actually quite well detailed. <laughs> the background, the facial expressions, as you say, the uh, just uh, the, the scene transitions, the way it pops off the page. Colors are really great as well. The inks. I mean, it, it, it really, it, it really works, and uh, even the, the the disparity in the colors from from page to page, it's um, and for those watching on YouTube, I, I have them behind uh, I have them behind uh, Jason and I as uh, as I'm talking about it. This really, it, you know, it, it really I can't underscore enough as Jace uh, as you've said that Greg Capullo really does. He brings his A game here, and of course, we know that uh, he only gets better. <laughs> and this was yeah. 30 years ago, so you know, kudos to him. Yeah, I agree 100%. Uh, okay, well, that's going to do it for this episode, everybody. Hope you all enjoyed it. Don't forget that we'll be back tomorrow with uh, with issue 20, and uh, all the previous issues are out there. 12 issues leading up to Christmas with 12 Days of Spawn Mists, and starting at the first of the year, and we will continue. Haven't missed a day yet. We'll see how long we can uh, keep that up. So uh, just a reminder, if you're listening to us on the audio-only side of things, make sure you do head over to YouTube at some point. Check out the uh, amazing art by uh, Greg Capullo by going to Rocky's channel. It's Comic Space Boom! Exclamation point. Make sure you subscribe so you don't miss any of the episodes. Uh, not only the Swan Daily, but the other content Rocky puts out. So ring that notification bell, like the video. All of that really helps. Uh, if you are checking us out on YouTube and you haven't subscribed to the Comic Source, be sure you head over to your favorite podcasting platform or app and just do a search for the Comic Source and subscribe so you don't miss any of the other uh, content we have out there. So uh, there is uh, an interview that I dropped uh, just earlier this week with uh, the cre- co-creator and writer of Canto, David Boer, uh, which was a lot of fun. My 10-year-old daughter joins me because she loves Canto, and that, that was a really fun interview. Uh, and we have some some pretty big names coming up. Um before the end of the month. Uh, I'm not going to spoil them. Uh, I will just say one's a, a current writer on a DC book that uh, we're really, really enjoying. And the other one is literally a living legend who has created dozens of characters in comics over the last four or five decades who will be joining me to, to talk about the state of the industry. And we'll talk about some of his more well-known uh, creations. I'm really looking forward to it. It's a creator that has been on the show before, but it's been eight years since he's been on the show. Uh, and the last time I talked to him was at a con for about 10 or 15 minutes. Uh, we'll get a lot more time to uh, to leisurely discuss his uh, career in comics coming up. So uh, I'll be promoting the heck out of it once I 
dial in the the date. Uh, so right. pay attention. You're such a tease. <laughs> well, I'll, w- once we stop recording, I'll tell you who it is. Uh, I, I know. For all, yeah, for all the rest of you guys, you have to wait. So hopefully not not too long though. Just a, just a few weeks. So anyway, that's gonna do it for this episode, everybody. Don't forget to uh, subscribe to Comic Boom and Comic Source, and we will talk to you next time. See you later. You can find the Comic Source podcast on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Google Play, or whichever podcasting app you prefer. Please tell all your friends about us, subscribe, and rate us. The ratings really help with our visibility and our ability to reach new listeners, especially five-star reviews on Apple. Also be sure to visit us at lrmonline.com to join the conversation, access the show notes, and discover all our other great pop culture content. If you want to email us, the email address is thecomicsourceblog at gmail.com, or you can follow us on Twitter, twitter.com forward slash thecomicsource. Do a search for The Comic Source on Facebook and Instagram to follow us on those social platforms. All three spots are great places to find out when we release new episodes as well as follow all our convention coverage. So once again, we want to thank everyone for listening, and we'll talk to you next time.